It's 835. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 10 degrees outside. If you have been out and about this morning, bundle up uh, the wind. The wind, uh, just kind of nasty out there. So bundle up. Uh, we're in front for a cold snap for a day or two. But then yeah, we're, we're already, it's it's already getting a little bit better. And we're already into February and supposed to be back in the 30s by the weekend. So we will survive this. All right. This is one time where, as it turns out, I was absolutely right. I, I'm not proud of the fact that I was right. But this is what comes with looking at and listening to these type of stories over the years. You develop a little bit of healthy skepticism, and it's always tough to kind of go out on a limb. But sometimes when you see these stories, they just do not sound right. I have learned over the years that whenever you hear stories about hate crimes being committed on university campuses... You need to view those stories with extreme skepticism. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who are on university campuses who actually, you know, hang these nooses or paint swastikas or do things like that. But I have become skeptical over the years because what happens, at least on some occasions, is it turns out that they really weren't hate crimes in the sense that somebody who hates black people or who hates Jewish people or whatever are committing them. Rather, it turns out to be sort of troubled students trying to gain attention who are staging these things. Now, you know, we've had a couple high-profile incidents of this in southeastern Wisconsin over the last couple years where you've had incidents with nooses and all, and it turns out that it was, well, students from or a student from you know, one of the affected groups who was trying to get attention. So they, they did that. So I've become skeptical. And two days ago, and we, we marked the tape, um, I was talking about the, the story out of Beloit College. Um, there were reported that you know hate crimes had been under investigation. Apparently the allegation was an anti-Semitic note had been placed under a student's door Friday. Another involved spray-painted messages. And kind of went out on a limb and went on the air two days ago, and I said, look, I'm looking at this, and if it turns out to be true, it would, in fact, be horrible. Uh, but I have my doubts about whether or not this is legitimate. And apparently those doubts were well-founded. I mean, here is the story. A Beloit College student admitted fabricating an incident in which a swastika, anti-Muslim, and ethnic and racial slurs were spray-painted in a dorm room and a nearby wall. 20-year-old man was arrested for obstructing disorderly conduct and criminal damage in connection with the incident. Officials at the college said that um, the two reported hate crimes at the school were under investigation. Um, according to police, the student admitted spray-painting the messages. He said um, he first he said that he saw how the first reported incident had brought the Beloit College community together and that he fabricated the incident to create similar attention according to the release. So in other words, he, he says, hey, I'm, I'm a hero here. Yes, I staged these hate crimes. I created all this controversy. I got all this attention. But my motives were noble because I saw that by doing this, I, I brought everybody together and we ended up talking about issues. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's for the DA's office to, of course, sort out. But the big picture here is, this is the advice I would give you, when you hear about these hate crimes allegedly being perpetrated on college campuses, not saying they don't happen, because I'm sure they do. I am saying that they need to be viewed extremely skeptically because there at least is a history that these things aren't true hate crimes, but rather they are things being staged to make it look like 
college students going to the campus are anti-Semitic or, uh, again, have various issues with Muslims or whatever. So you got to be really careful, and the Beloit story is a classic example of that. All right, we start off this program like we start off all programs, three big things, things I think you need to know to discuss at the water cooler or in the coffee closet or at lunchrooms or with your friends. Um, issue number one. The protests about the Trump travel ban continue. Um, Donald Trump, and I think they did this, and of course in a ham-handed way, this weekend rolled out these plans to put temporary stays on immigrants coming in from seven countries. Now, the seven countries that are listed are predominantly Muslim. They're majority Muslim countries. But the ban doesn't apply to just Muslims. It applies to anybody coming in from the countries. It is not a permanent ban. It rather is a temporary halt to immigration from these various countries um, until we can improve our vetting procedures. The countries that are listed, the seven of them, are countries that are either on the State Department's watch list for being sponsors of terrorism or other countries where the terrorists are known to um, abound. So it's seven specific countries. It is countries with ties to terrorism, and it is a temporary halt, not a permanent ban. Now, I understand there are all sorts of issues with how this was rolled out, like did it apply to green card holders or whatever, but, but at its heart, this is a temporary travel cessation for people who are not already legally allowed to come into the country. And this, of course, has sparked all the demonstrations. You had the huge protests at the airport and things like that. It it continues. Uh, Yesterday in Chicago, you had more than 200 protesters who gathered at the Department of Homeland Security because they're all upset about, you know, this particular temporary halt in travel. And that's the way it's played out. People, Donald Trump is terrible. We can't believe that this executive order was signed. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Big story number one. I believe that as more people get a chance to think about this particular order, I think the less and less sympathetic the protesters become. Should Trump back off on this temporary travel ban or... Despite the fact that you have people screaming and protesting about it, does it make sense to put a temporary hold on people coming in from these seven particular countries in order to make sure that, you know, you can toughen up the vetting process? Is this really as big a deal as the protesters are trying to make it? Or is this a tempest in a teapot and something that once the American people really get a chance to think through their going to appreciate it and say, okay, this this isn't so unreasonable after all. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Big thing number one, the Trump travel ban, should he back off on it or upon further reflection, does it make sense? We discuss 842 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620 at 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. 
845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number one, there's all these protests about the Trump travel ban, and I'm going to be the first to tell you it was rolled out, in my opinion, in a ham-handed fashion. Uh, Congress, I think, should have been consulted. It should have been clear. Does this apply to people who have green cards or not? But, but now these protests continue. And I think the more and more people are starting to think about this, I mean, the countries involved, Iraq, Iran, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Libya, Yemen, have all been identified as as countries that pose national security risks. And so what Trump is saying is, hey, we're not going to permanently ban immigration, but we're going to put a halt to it for 90 days so we can look at our vetting process. Now, once you really think about that, is that that unreasonable? 414-799-1620 is the number. Jason in New Berlin. Jason, good morning. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. I mean, it's, I'm watching all these protests, and I'm thinking, okay, are, are, are we really missing something? Is this really something to cause tens of thousands of people to go and shut down airports to protest about? Well, the fact of the matter is we live in a society that's real knee-jerk. You know, we're reacting to information before it all becomes available. And I think what Trump's done here, you know, putting aside the, the way that he rolled out the policy, um, right. What he's doing here is taking a cautious approach to terrorism and to bringing refugees in and trying to head off what we've already seen in Europe. You know, they've got a substantial threat all throughout Europe. They're, they're having these attacks quite frequently. And are we going to wait until all those refugees are here, until terrorism is a problem, and then try to then try to address it? You know, it, it, you're better off gathering right. all the facts and taking a cautious cautious approach like he's doing. Right now, and and if anything, I think you could make an argument, Jason, that maybe there's a couple other countries that perhaps should also have been included, that they, um, Saudi Arabia, for example, maybe Pakistan, but, you know, they made the decision that for a variety of reasons they didn't want to make it that broad. But, I mean, who can seriously argue with, okay, Iraq, Iran, Syria, let's just, let's have a temporary halt on immigration just so we make sure our vetting processes are secure. Seems to me that's a no-brainer. Absolutely. You know, and one thing that I've seen floating around social media is some sort of connection that, you know, these are countries that Trump doesn't do business with. But if you look at the facts, there's not a lot of uh, businesses that do business in those countries because they're just, they, they, with Iran, yeah. The hottest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look yeah. at the countries that are listed. I mean, half of them are war torn, half of them are under, you know, regime control. And yep. It's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and thanks to Colin. I, I, that's, I guess that's how I, I look at it. And it, what, what also is lost in this and was lost in the, the way the thing was rolled out is, okay, it's not a permanent ban. We are talking about a temporary cessation um, with the idea that we're going to just improve our vetting procedures. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Um, I, I agree. I think that these it, it kind of went out haphazardly. But um, what is not being put out there enough in the media is the fact that a lot of these started under Obama. I mean, they targeted and they they identified the problem areas and made those countries uh, on the watch list to get it started. So uh, all he's doing is the continuation of that and doing it a little bit more thoroughly than Obama did. But. Nobody's right. talking about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, right. The, the Obama administration, the State Department, they already had like a, a visa watch or something like that. Now, this is an, at one step further, but you know, at the same time, I think everybody recognizes that these countries are not. These countries were just not pulled out of a hat. I mean, these, these are countries where, yeah, if you want to be concerned about people coming in, these would be where you would start the list. 
But I think these protests are really damaging this country. With yeah. it, I was watching some of it this morning, and it's just it, it's so violent, it's yeah. unnecessary. And okay, we had an election. We we elected a leader. Let's follow that leader for at least a few weeks, maybe a month. Let's be radical. <laughs> let's, do it. let's follow him for a month and see what he does. Well, you know, so Mike, far, I, 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 I've been saying this. I also think that there is going to be a backlash. And I, I've been making this point for the last week. I mean, I, I watched the whole Act 10 the, the thing, and, you know, you, I, I thought the reaction to Act 10 was so out of proportion to what Act 10 really did that it turned <laughs> off a lot of people. I mean, a, a lot of people who might otherwise have been sympathetic were saying, I don't want to be part of this club that is descending on Madison. I think the same thing may be coming true with regard to all the anti-Trump protests, specifically on this immigration thing, when more and more people get a chance to say, wait, all this protest is because he's putting a 90-day hold on Syrian uh, immigrants from Syria coming in? Hmm, I I just think it's out of proportion. I think there's going to be a backlash sooner or later. I I hope so, but, you know, a lot of these people, you know, they talk about, oh, the people had green cards, you know, they shouldn't be blocked. But if you look at a lot of the terrorist acts that have been here, a lot of these people have come and gotten citizenship or green cards and then went out and did things they did. Like the guy in Ohio State, he had a he, had, right. he was a citizen. Yeah. So there's a lot of – it just has to be done better. It does. They, and, and by the way, I don't think this travel ban it is perfect at, at all. It, candidly, and I have been saying this for a while too – one of the big flaws, and it, it did not get better under Bush, it didn't get better under Obama, the, one of the big flaws with our immigration system is, is, the, is visas. Uh, keep in mind, you know, who, who perpetrated 9-11? Yeah, it was terrorists, but it was terrorists who were here on visas that had overstayed the visas and were just floating around this country. One of the great weaknesses that we still have with our immigration system is we do a reasonably good job of at least checking people into this country. We can tell when somebody's come in from another country and comes into the United States. We do a lousy job of keeping track of what happens to them when they, you know, once they come in and when they overstay their visas. I mean, I've looked at some of these news stories. It is staggering how many people come in and overstay their visas, and we have no idea where they are. They just kind of come into the United States and then just disappear into this huge country. You know, in other countries, I mean, you talk to people, and, you know, I've had phone calls from some of you who've gone to European countries on visas, and if you overstay them by a day or two, you've got the cops knocking on your door saying, you've got to leave. Well, here, we just do not do anywhere near as good a job of tracking people who come in and overstay. So, I mean, I, I understand that a temporary detention, a temporary ban on immigration, isn't the, the magic bullet that solves all the problems. But to me, it doesn't mean that it's a it's a bad idea. Let's talk to Charlie in Heartland. Charlie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, what do you think? Uh, well, the other component here that you need to factor in is that these countries were chosen because most of these, if not all of these countries, you look at Syria, you look at uh, Somalia, you look at Iraq, they don't have legitimate governments. They right. don't, or, they, or governments are in disarray. Right. So they don't have the proper vetting pressure, uh, the, the vetting on their side of the, of, the, of the pond that would filter some of these people out as well. So these people... If they want to do damage in our company, in our country, they can just jump on a plane and just go, and there's no checkpoints over there either. So that's right. the other part of this is why these these countries were chosen is because they're, 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 they don't have legitimate governments. Yeah. It's yeah. not about religion. 
Right. Oh, no, exactly. And it doesn't. I mean, and that's why you know, what, during the campaign, when they started talking about a ban on Muslims, I, I think lots of lots of red flags, deservedly so, went off. You can't do that. But I mean, you can identify certain countries if they happen to be majority Muslim. That's fine. But as long as you're applying it to everybody who wants to come in from Iraq, you know, yes, there's no. There is no legal problem, in my opinion, with that. No, you're exactly right. Thanks for calling. I mean, you're talking about, in some cases, countries that don't have legitimate governments. Now, again, I, I understand there's some people saying, well, you know, maybe we should expand this and this rationale with Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and all. But th- there's different concerns. Saudi Arabia, in particular, is not – it's not Iraq. It's not Iran. Um, again, this controversy – I think I understand that people want to use it and try to say, okay, we hate Trump, and this is why we have to mobilize and do these things. I think the more and more people find out about what he's really doing, the less and less controversial it becomes, and the more and more whacked out the anarchists who are out there protesting this will appear to be. All right, next, big thing number two, David Clark, at least if you believe one liberal poll, is extremely unpopular in this area. Do you believe that? We'll discuss. It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you thought that shadow spotting and weather predicting were the whole story behind the groundhog, guess again. Get all the details during WTMJ today at 1235. That's right. Today is Groundhog Day. Hmm. So the sun is out, so presumably that means that the groundhog will see its shadow, and that means six more weeks of winter. Okay, that's theoretically the way it works if you believe in that type of stuff. I I don't know. Don't know. But actually, this winter's been okay. Winter's been okay. A couple cold days, and then it's going to get better. Okay, big story number two. The mainstream media around here and the national media have been focused um, like a laser beam on Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. David Clark has always been a lightning rod for controversy. No question about that. That level of controversy has increased as he has taken a more pronounced role. He was one of the spokespeople for Donald Trump during the campaign. Um, He's taken some very, very hard-line positions that have created uh, some, given some people some heartburn. And he's taken a much, he's got a much more national profile. So there's this poll that was done by this this lefty polling firm, and it is a lefty polling firm, Public Policy Polling, decides that they want to go out and they want to see how popular David Clark is. Now, one of the things that we have learned over the last several elections is polls are not worth the paper they are printed on. Okay, I I will not be fooled again. I have learned my lesson. Um, I will not be fooled again uh, by polls, even the reliable polls. And PPP was never one of the more reliable polling places. But even the most reliable polls, the gold standards, aren't able to appropriately match and identify public sentiment. But that notwithstanding, the new survey finds that only 31 percent of Milwaukee County voters approve of the job that David Clark is doing. In other words, 70 percent disapprove. They say he is incredibly unpopular at home, no chance at all of getting reelected. Milwaukee County voters will not support him at all. Big story number two, 414 That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is Clark really as unpopular as some people would have you believe? Has Milwaukee County, have people really turned on David Clark or 
is this sort of just another one of these kind of left-wing hissy fits that do does not does not really capture how many people the silent majority that support and applaud what the sheriff is doing even if they might not agree with all of his methods. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Do you support David Clark, or is it time for him to go? We will discuss that after the news. It's 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. New polling is out, and it's done by a left-wing polling operation that shows that David Clark is incredibly unpopular. 31% approval rate in Milwaukee County. The conclusion of the poll is that if Clark runs again, there is no way at all he could possibly win. Now, the election is... A little under two years off, so there's lots of time for that to change. Also, while I have absolutely no inside knowledge on this, I, I, I would be stunned if David Clark ran again for sheriff. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think he's ready to move on to something bigger, um, w- whether that's a role in the Trump administration or whether that's uh, a commentator on some national news program or whether that's a Senate run against Tammy Baldwin. I, I don't know. But I don't think he's going to be running again as Milwaukee County Sheriff. But is he really as unpopular as some of the newspaper stories or some of these polls would suggest? Do you continue to support David Clark? And if he ran again, do you think you'd vote for him? 414-799-1620 is the number. Cynthia in Milwaukee. Cynthia, good morning. You're first. Good morning. What do you think? No, no way. I I think his, his the people out there are just done with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just done, and there's no way I would vote for him again. Did Did you vote for him in the past? I've only lived here for three years, okay, um, so I didn't. Um, but one of the things that just comes to my mind is I met a lady here in Milwaukee, and uh, she had told me about her son being shot and killed. And I asked her about it, and she told me that he had gone to get some things at the grocery store. And apparently he looked at somebody the wrong way Mm -hmm. in his car at a stoplight. There was even a name for it. Mean mugging. Mean mugging is what it's called. Oh, mean mugging. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's a name for it. Okay. So here's this, uh, I think he was 20. He was 20 years old, um, you know, uh, on the way to the grocery store to get some cookie stuff, to make some cookies, you know. Right. So I, I look at... Um, a child sitting in the backseat of the car and saying, Mom, Susie looked at me wrong. You know, we learn this as a child that, you know, this is stuff that you don't do. And here's a grown man who wants people to look up to him and that we're supposed to respect. And he goes ahead and does this. I'll tell you. Oh, you're talking about the airline incident that happened a couple weeks right. ago. Okay, got right. it. Right. And I'll tell you, I probably would have done the same exact thing. I had already heard that Sheriff Clark's um, uncle played for for the uh, Cowboys. For Cowboys, yes. So you know that. I mean, it's a family thing. You know, you. I've been in a where I used to live. I had a, a kid that played for the Broncos. Okay, but I probably would have kind of gave him a smirk too. Right. You know, kind of like really. You know, you're from Milwaukee. You represent. You know, right. Wisconsin. Right. Blah blah blah. You know, and you wouldn't have expected to get jacked up when you got off the airplane by four sheriff's deputies. Absolutely not. And 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 even the comment, you know, like what you're looking at, or you got a problem, or whatever. I mean, this is a man that is supposed to be able to be calm in situations and 
do his best thoughts to to make sure that whatever he decides to do, whether whatever his uh, deputies decide to do, and to do something like that and waste tax dollars money. Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I appreciate the perspective. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to get some more calls. I I do. I appreciate the perspective, and and who knows how that whole thing is going to play out. It, it might be that you get a claim against the county. It might get to be a lawsuit. So those of us who live in Milwaukee County would end up shelling out the dough. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Has David Clark lost the support of the Milwaukee County electorate? Now, in Cynthia's case, she just moved here a couple years ago, so. She, she wasn't somebody who voted for Clark, you know, time and time again, as many as, of us have done. Bobby in Milwaukee. Bobby, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, sir. Um, I've lived here for 46 years, and I think the sheriff, he's overstepped his boundaries in a lot of areas. He's very disrespectful. He's a very arrogant individual. Um, if a person look at you and make a smirk, there's no reason to harass him. That's abusive use of the badge. Mm-hmm. And for the governor to get up, you know, Walker is like anybody else. Uh, I mean, um, Sir, Sir Clark is like anybody else. He draw a paycheck. He's accountable to somebody. But the governor took his tail and run when he was interviewed last night and said, well, leave it up to the voters. It wasn't to the voters when he elected, when he appointed the sheriff. Well, actually, Governor Wa- Walker didn't. And the governor Walker didn't. Walker. Walker didn't appoint. Okay, Walker. No, Walker didn't appoint Clark. Uh, Scott McCallum appointed Clark. Just you know. So I know that I saw McCallum. They interviewed him last night. Right. He said that in an interview last night. He said, "Well, it's up to the voters now." Right. It is up to the voters now. But last week when they interviewed um, uh, Walker, Walker, he said that, "Well, it's up to the people. The next time around when they vote, if they don't want him, they'll." Uh, they won't vote him in. Right. Okay, what I mean, he tucked his tail and ran. He evaded the question. He evaded the issue at hand. He's the Governor Walker is over the state. He should be over Clark now. Well, I guess the- him, put him in, put him, put him in order, put him in check. Hey, you overstepping your boundaries and just reached all the way up to my office. And I think you should tone it down. But Bobby, let me ask you: Did you vote for Clark? Have you ever voted for Clark? I'm just curious. Yes, I did. Okay, so you, you were you were a Clark supporter, and now you, you've changed your mind about him. Yes. Okay, good enough. That's it. Now, I mean, here, here what, what Bobby is referring to is, I mean, Scott Walker did not appoint David Clark. Scott McCallum, who was the the governor um, after Tommy Thompson stepped down and before Jim Doyle took over, um, McCallum appointed him, and apparently he did an interview on TV, I want to say Channel 12, last night, um, saying that, no, he's not sorry that he ended up appointing him. What Bobby was referring to is there is a state statute which allows a governor to remove a DA or a sheriff for for cause. Historically, cause isn't, I don't like the job the guy is doing. Cause is some form of official misconduct, a lot of times on the line, on the lines of like, like criminal behavior. For example, there was the district attorney who was in, involved in the whole Stephen Avery thing who ended up, he ended up resigning, but there were allegations that he had had a sexual relationship with a client and that type of stuff. There, there was at least an investigation to determine whether the governor might remove him for cause. In all honesty, I, I don't. Regardless of how you feel about Clark and how you feel about that statute, merely because 
you, you disagree with somebody's policies or even if you think they're overstepping their bounds, I, I don't think that there's anything that a reasonable person could argue that Clark has done that would rise to that level of cause to have a governor try to re- remove you. I mean, the, the better thing would be, and this is something I am fascinated by, is if if people feel so strongly about this in Milwaukee County, Lord knows, you know, people know how to do recalls. And I, as far as I can tell, there's there's no groundswell of effort to recall David Clark, which tells me that despite the fact that there's a lot of this talking going on in, you know, in public and how unpopular he is, there, there doesn't appear to be any effort to recall him, which tells me that there might not be as much of a groundswell of support to get rid of him as some people think. Just saying. 414-799-1620. Bob in West Dallas. Bob, Good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning to you, Jeff. What uh, do you think? I, I, I and, don't, and by the way, don't use this word that you use my screener. I, I, I think we well, can say it on the radio, but I don't. I choose not to, okay? I, sh- sure. I, I don't use it. Right. But, but, you know, you talk about cause, and, and I think that speaks to cause, among other things that he has said. Right, yeah, for uh, people who don't know, there, there was this controversy. Um, I think it was a CNN host took off on Clark, and Clark responded using, and, and the, the, the host used racially charged language, and Clark responded using racially charged language, well, and it was kind of like a, a just a, a general peeing match. You know, two wrongs do yeah. not make a right. He's an elected official. I question this compensation that, he's re- that he receives from all of his travels while he's also being paid $132,000 by the citizens of Milwaukee County. I question the legality of that. Why do you why do you think there's not why do you think a recall effort hasn't hasn't arisen? (laughs) And I'm not I'm not trying to organize one. I'm just kind of curious because my God we have I understand that I I think that I think that in order to 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 craft a recall uh, people need to be a little more politically sophisticated and I right okay yeah, fair. okay fair enough no I get it no thanks I, I fair enough I mean I just I, I mean we went through this entire scenario where you know a couple of years ago you know people were being recalled for any and you know any reason or no reason or whatever and I guess I, I just people have been trying to take out David Clark for so very long and timing is everything and again if, if you believe these polls he is incredibly unpopular and I'm not trying to organize a recall effort I'm just looking at these numbers saying okay if he really is this unpopular why why hasn't there been some recall movement that that started uh, let's talk to Patty on the southwest side Patty good morning you're on 620 WTMJ good morning um I have very high respect for Sheriff Clark. I had voted for him in the past, and I will vote for him in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with these people are they are so PO'd off at him because he backed Donald Trump from day one, and he stood by Donald Trump. Right. And he's trying to keep Milwaukee safe, and if these people want respect they ha- from Sheriff Clark, they have to give it to Sheriff Clark. So you think that if Sheriff Clark had been an outspoken supporter, say, of Hillary Clinton, he did for Hillary Clinton what he did for Donald Trump, you think he, he could have, the, the, a lot of people would have just looked the other way, they would have said, okay, th- this is our guy. Interesting. No, thank, that there, there, there is, I think it is impossible to divorce and again, I, I've been critical of some of the things David Clark has done, but I do think it is impossible to divorce the reaction that you're seeing in some circles from his vocal support of Donald Trump. Uh, Jason in New Berlin. Jason, you're on 620 WTMJ. 
How you doing, Jeff? Hi, Jason. What do you think? I, I think that uh, this is another case of the, the silent majority just silently backing him. You know, the the tone politically, that's what we're going to call it, for the last couple of years has been, you know, just incredible backlash from the left. And anytime somebody takes a unpopular stance, which David Clark has done in a lot of ways, right. uh, the, it causes a huge public uproar. And rather than get your head bit off and get called a slew of different names, right. we'll remain silent. And you know what? They show up at the polls. Yeah. And the... I mean, he's yeah. still in office. That's a direct reflection of his support. Well, you know, what what you're talking about is that same factor that played out, I think, in this last election. It's one of the reasons why I think the polls miss things so badly, because there were a lot of people who were Trump supporters who I think lied to the pollsters. I, I just because well, I, I think they or and maybe maybe lied to or didn't discuss things, didn't vocally come up with other when they were talking to their friends because they didn't want to get. You know, they, they just didn't want to get into these arguments. But when they voted, when they went into that voting booth, they, they pulled the lever for Trump, and maybe they'll pull the lever for Clark again if he runs again. I agree. And, I mean, uh, I wasn't even a Trump supporter. I was actually a staunch critic of him. But looking at the, the political landscape now, um, yeah. I see how somebody like him was elected. You know, the people want to dispense with the political correctness. They want to call an issue an issue, and they want action. And people are losing their minds now that there's, you know, not <laughs> just with David Clark, but also with Trump, right. now that there's actual action happening. Well, right, exactly. I mean, who, who could, okay, Trump said that he was going to build a wall. All right, so now he's going, whether, whether you think it's the right thing or not, we're now surprised that he's building the wall. No, I'm with you. Thanks for the call. I, I, I think, I do not think the dislike of David Clark is as widespread as some of the, the popular columnists and some of these polls and some stuff in the mainstream media would, would would believe. I don't know. If he were to run again in Milwaukee County, I'm not, and I don't think he's going to. I really don't. But I don't think that this is a lock. And if you believe that his approval rating is really only like 30%, um, I, I think I think you're. I think they're missing the boat. I think Clark remains a lot more popular among the silent majority than people think. Now, having said that, I think, just like I think it would be in President Trump's interest to stay off Twitter, I do think at times it would be in Sheriff Clark's interest to kind of you know, dial down some of the rhetoric, but he, he is what he is, and I don't think that that's going to happen. Governor Walker says he's had some meetings with uh, Vice President Pence, and they've discussed whether or not some of the Act 10 initiatives that worked in Wisconsin, and yes, they are working in Wisconsin, it was not the end of the world, whether or not you could apply those nationwide. Now, First of all, I think we need to put a little bit of – my answer is yes. There, there's no reason not to explore this. But we need to apply a little bit of context. For the federal government, for federal employees, including unionized employees, they do not right now have the ability to bargain over wages and, and benefits. I mean, the wages and benefits are, are set. When I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office and this, our support staff and stuff, there, there's this whole scale that, that's out there. And it's not like individual unions can discuss, okay, you know, is this going to be, are you going to be a GS step whatever? I mean, the, the federal government, one of the reasons I was so confident that Act 10 was not going to bring about the destruction of Wisconsin, and it didn't bring about the destruction of Wisconsin, was the fact that, you know, the federal government has had a version of this for years. There is some degree of collective bargaining when it comes to safety issues and things like that, but as far as wages, benefits, all right, it, it's, it's fixed. You do not have collective bargaining in general on those type of things. So 
I, I was confident that if it worked on the federal government level, it, it was going to work on the Wisconsin level, and, and it did. I do think that given what we have seen with Act 10, you are going to see more states, and to an extent, to the extent it's applicable, the federal government starting to look at some of these things because Wisconsin is the model. And just like we talked about earlier with all the protests about the travel ban, I think you know the more people look at it and say, okay, has it really been the end of the world because we, we, we now – we now allow, for example, school districts to pay teachers what they are worth in a free market as opposed to, gee, you get X amount of dollars simply based on how far you went in school and how long you were here. I think the more people think about that, they say, well, that, that's going to kind of make sense. So the headline story and our third big story, Scott Walker talks to the Trump team about national expansion of Act 10 labor limits. Lots of Act 10 is already in place on the federal level and it's working. I'm not sure how much more you're going to be able to expand it, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. So yesterday, last evening, I'm, I'm sitting in a cocktail lounge. I'm actually in a bar, having a beer. Now, the two people I'm with are drinking these, like, fruit-flavored beers. You know, it's kind of like, all right, really, tangerine beer? Come on. You know, really, grapefruit beer? Come on. You drink a beer. But anyways, and one of them says to me, so, are you going to take this guy's invitation up and go to New York? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. So there's, they, they apparently WISN-TV had this, this story um, about a guy who grew up in West Bend, now lives in New York, and he is inviting conservative Republicans to come out and stay at his house. Um, in New York, so you can see the, the New York he experiences and, and all the, how the, the concerns that Trump has about immigration and things like that are completely and totally unfounded. So that, that's, that's the whole idea behind it. And I'm looking at his Facebook posting. At the end of, end of the thing, he, he calls me out. Um, capital letters. Leaving this here. Mark Belling and Jeff Wagner. Get at me. Well, no, I'm not going to get at you. But at the same time, I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. If, if I go to New York, trust me, I, I, will, I will not be staying at some stranger's house. That's, that, that's that one of those kind of things where you know, they find your body a couple weeks later and they go, why was this guy in this particular position? Why in the world? Right. Why? <laughs> yes, Hondo says missing a kidney. Yeah, it's like, okay, why, why did they think that was a good idea? Coming, we were at the Hall of Fame thing for Brett Favre this summer. I was there with my best friend, um, Evan, and his son, Dean, and we're driving back, and Evan is my, my beer guy. I'm his wingman when it comes to beer, and there's this beer called White Raja, which wins all these awards, and it's really only available in like a 10-mile, square-mile radius of Ohio. So we're coming back from Canton, Ohio, and... Evan, get, we get off the freeway and we start driving through the middle of nowhere because there is this liquor store. It's called something like Shotgun Johnny's or something. In the middle of nowhere, down this road, it's like a, a dirt path, and then you come to this like gravel thing, and then, then there's this liquor store. No windows. It's a big sort of um, nothing but like a concrete block building. And the only, the only thing you can see in the front is like a, a sign for Red Man Chewing Tobacco. And we're there at 5 after 11 on a Sunday morning. And I'm thinking... But but they sell White Raja because it's kind of by the brewery. And I'm thinking, we're going to go into this place. They're going to find my body three or four weeks later, and people are going to go, what the heck was he doing in this particular liquor store? But that was our chase for beer. Yeah, that would be, okay, you've got somebody that puts this thing up on Facebook and says, come to New York and stay with me, and I'll show you my New York. No, if I, if I go to New York, one word, hotel. 
<laughs> One word hotel, and I have some of them. The other thing, my New York story, I've told this before, so bear with me if you've heard it. I have um, had a very dear friend who passed away a year or two ago who spent a couple years in New York. He lived in Greenwich Village in this incredibly expensive little studio apartment that was a, a dump with a capital D. So I'm staying. This is this is years and years and years ago. So I'm, I'm staying with him and... Get up in the middle of the night because you have to go to the bathroom. And there's, okay, it's a studio apartment, and the little tiny crummy bathroom is through the little tiny crummy kitchen, you know, which is off where the, the main area is. So get up in the middle of the night. I flick on the light in the kitchen, and all these cockroaches go scurrying across the kitchen floor. Ooh, you know. And so I say, John, John, you got cockroaches all over. To which he explains to me, he says, no, all all apartments in New York have cockroaches. And actually, you want to look for an apartment with cockroaches because if you find an apartment that doesn't have cockroaches, it has something else that's scaring away the cockroaches or eating them. And you want no part of whatever that might be. And I'm like, okay, fine. So, no, I, I, I won't be staying at this guy's apartment in New York and... Won't be experience the, experiencing the, the melting pot that I'm sure is some New York culture. At the same time, I also won't be backing down on thinking it's a good idea that maybe we put a temporary halt to immigration from, I don't know, countries that have been known to sponsor or allow terrorism to be fostered until we can have a decent vetting process. Coming up next, Mom, get off the phone. This was a story that, that caught my attention. We all, I'm trying to think, over the last 20 years, if I was trying to think about some of the biggest everyday changes to our lives, I think probably right up there would be, would be cell phones. And, and it used to be, okay, you know, I, I can remember the time where, you know, people did not have personal computers. And now everybody has personal computers, whether it's a laptop or a desktop. But now, you know, everybody carries cell phones. And, and candidly, you know, the information that is contained in the cell phone, you, you might not even need a computer because your, your cell phone is your, your computer. So we are constantly connected. And you see, it doesn't matter where you go, you see people that are always on their, their cell phones. I, again, it's a minor pet peeve of mine, but... And, you will stand in lines at the grocery store or the dry cleaners or wherever, and you will see people who just can't get off their cell phones. You know, they're on their cell phone talking as they're trying to deal with – I was at the dry cleaners the other day, and there's a lady, and I don't mean this to be you know sexist because men do this too, but she's involved in uh, – you, you, you don't really want to be listening in, but you can't help it because you're standing behind her, and she's just chatting. And that's what this is. It is a chat. It is not, oh, my gosh, you know, Uncle Elmer has died. We've got to make funeral arrangements. No, she's just kind of prattling on to whoever that she's talking to. And the, the clerk is is trying to engage her in a conversation. And it's like the clerk is imposing on this woman, like he's interrupting by, you know, asking her for a ticket and th- this type of stuff. And you want to kind of say, lady, 
this I can tell this conversation is that important. Just why don't you put down the darn cell phone, do your transaction, and then resume the conversation? But you see this happen like all the time. People are are going through their daily life and they're on the the phone and they're talking to people. And generally speaking, it is a conversation that could wait until they finish what they do. It's just it's a minor annoyance. In part because it delays all the rest of us, because it delays the transaction, because they're, again, acting like the clerk is doing them a favor by engaging them. So, minor pet peeve, but, I mean, I appreciate how great cell phones are. So, here's the story. We've got a link to this on our main page and um, on WTM and the Jeff Wagner Show page, both at WTMJ.com. A Texas daycare, and I've got a link to the story, so you can actually see the sign. Um, there's this daycare in Houston. Here, Here's the story. Um, this woman goes to pick up her kids at this daycare outside of Houston last week. And on the front door of the daycare is a sign. The sign reads, you are picking up your child, exclamation point. Get off your phone, in capital letters, exclamation point, exclamation point. Your child is happy to see you. Are you not happy to see your child? The message then goes on. It says, we have seen children trying to hand their parents their work they completed, and the parent is on the phone. We have heard a child say, mommy, 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 and the parent is paying more attention to their phone than their own child. It is appalling. Get off your phone. (laughs) Okay. So in other words, you're picking up your kid. You haven't seen the kid. It's the end of the day. The kid is going to be excited to see you. Get off the darn phone and pay attention to your child. This posting has, I hate the phrase gone viral because it is such a cliche, but this posting has gone viral with some people suggesting, well, okay, it's not the daycare's business. You know, who are they to tell somebody to end up getting off their phone? And other people saying, Absolutely. You know, this, this is a classic example of this. We love cell phones. I mean, it's great that they can communi- communicate, but people are on them way too much. And in situations like this, when you're picking up your kid, or I would say, you know, when you're in line dealing with people, get off your phone. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. All right. Is this daycare out of line when it says... Hey, look, you know, you're, you're here to pick up your children. Nothing can really be that important. Pay a little bit of attention to your kid. And when you pick up the child, you know, just put down the phone for a little bit and pay attention to them. And again, I think you could perhaps extend that message to a lot of other things as well. But is the daycare out of line or is that good advice? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is it none of their business? Is it none of any of our businesses? If we're in line, it doesn't matter whether it's the bank or wherever, and you've got somebody that's, again, chatting on their cell phone, and most of the times it is chatting. It's not this earth-shattering thing. It's not a call that couldn't wait five or ten minutes, but... The people feel like, hey, I'm on the cell phone. It's my business. 414-799-1620. Are these daycare operators out of line for doing this? Or is it a message that we all need to take to heart? 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with Bonnie and Franklin. Bonnie, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Bonnie. Um, my, I, can, I think that's totally valid because I've been through drive throughs with McDonald's. I've been to banks. And they all say, no cell phones allowed. Yeah. 
Right, for, for exactly... And, and if, if banks and, and McDonald's can do that, why can't daycares? <laughs> well, I, do you think it's... I mean, is it rude for the daycare to say that type of stuff? Or, I mean, theoretically, the daycare doesn't know how important that phone call is. You know, maybe this is the life-or-death call. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, I mean, typically, when you're picking up your child, there's no life-or-death situation happening, right? <laughs> right. Well, and typically, again, I, I mean, I hate to eavesdrop, but a lot of times when you're in these public settings... And you have people who are on the cell phones, and they're talking loud because there's all the ambient noise. You can't help but overhear what's going on. And 98% of the time, it's just silliness <laughs> that that could wait at least a couple minutes. At least get your darn child in the car, take a look at the drawing he or she made, give them a little bit of attention, and then get back on the cell phone. That, that You can always do that. I agree. Yeah. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Do we need to put down our cell phones more, or is it kind of anything goes? And is this daycare out of line? And do you notice this as you go about your everyday life? We can't go anywhere without our cell phones. This daycare in Houston, they put up this big sign saying, hey, put down the cell phones and they it it talks about how all these parents will come up to the door they'll pick up their kids after they've been at the daycare for a day the kids will mommy mommy here look look what i did and the parents are on the cell phone it's like it's too much of an annoyance to put down the cell phone for a few seconds to greet your kid and the daycare is saying hey put down these cell phones I, i think this is a great in daycare settings but i think it's great in other settings as well mary in greenfield mary good morning you're in 620 wtmj good morning thank you for taking my call yes ma'am no, I think they're doing us a great justice, telling us they're just giving us the option to put down our phone. It's not like we have to put our phone, but right. heaven forbid we have an interaction with a live person versus <laughs> an inanimate thing, you know? Right. So, right. Uh, yeah, heaven I'm, forbid you pay attention to your child for right, a few minutes that right. hasn't a seen live, you all day. A live, yeah, a live person versus an inanimate thing like your phone, like somebody. You know, when people get so distracted, they don't see what's right in front of them. Their child is right in front of them, and they're, you know, choosing to talk to somebody on the phone, which is outside of their you know, immediate, you right. know, for reasons. So well, no, I think all, it's a great you, idea. Yeah, and like I said, you see this in stores all the time as well. You know, people who are in line, and you, you've got the cashier who's waiting on them, or doing. there's people in line behind it, and it's almost like the, the customer who's on the phone views it as an imposition that, hey, the guy at the dry cleaning thing is asking me questions. Doesn't he realize I'm on the phone? And you want to say, put down the phone, pick up your dry cleaning, yeah, pay for a, it, and go home. Yeah. It's a strange transition that we've made that um, instead of paying attention to the live person yeah. that's right, Right in front of us. Yeah. You know, it's just very strange transition. But no, we should definitely pay attention to our children. That's what they're there for. We had the children before we had the cell phones, probably. <laughs> You're right. So. Th- th- thanks. For, well, exactly. And it is it is one of the weird things that has happened. And again, I, I try to think back over the last couple decades of of what is one of the biggest changes in in daily the lives of daily Americans. And and, and to me, there, there's no question. It's 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 cell phones and it's the advent of cell phones and i understand if you're listening to me now and you're 20 years old you know cell ubiquitous cell phones is something that you grew up with and you don't even remember the day which really wasn't that long ago where people you know actually had to if you needed to make a phone call and you were out of the house you actually had to find one of those things called a payphone and you had to put money in it and you had to make those calls i mean that's that those things are it's a day it's it's gone Matter of fact, landlines are, are, you know, a dying breed now, too. But it's really how ubiquitous cell phones have become. But along with that, 
I don't know if it's cluelessness or rudeness or whatever. Mike in Manitowoc. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I uh, love your show. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. I work as a pharmacist, and people will come up on their cell phone and want me to discuss their medication. I don't know who's on the other line. That is a direct HIPAA violation. Okay. I cannot discuss their medication with them because oh. I, I will possibly <laughs> disclose something I can't to someone who shouldn't know about it. Well, also, you would think that... Okay, so like like at the pharmacy I go to, you you go, you say, I go, I say, okay, I've got a prescription for me. They then I pay for it or whatever, and then I get in line, and then the pharmacist comes out and he, he shows me that. So you're saying there's people who are interacting with you as a pharmacist at the point where they're picking up medication and and they're on the phone talking to somebody else. Right, <laughs> like I like I'm not supposed to be doing anything there. I need to discuss this with right. you. It's important. Who's right. on the other line? I I don't. If you're picking up. Possibly for someone else or for a child, do you sure. want that person to know what's going on in your life? Well, well also, and, I, I would I would think that you would want to be paying attention to the pharmacist when they're talking about you know well, medications right, yeah. that you're going I, to be it's getting. Kind of important, a little bit important to know. Oh, you know, this could happen or that can happen, and then uh, you know we'll get a call saying, oh, you know, I had this side effect. Yeah, well, <laughs> I counseled you. You were on your phone. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you can't do that. Yeah, pay, so. right. Pay, pay it. And again, the, the calls that people are on, and I, I'm not knocking cell phones. I think they're great. But it, it's just people chatting with other people about stuff. That call right. undoubtedly could wait five minutes. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I'm just trying to imagine if I'm like the pharmacist. Okay, here, here, here's this drug. And by the way, you got to make sure you don't mix it with this, or you're going to turn green and be really, really sick. Oh, you missed that because you know you were talking about your to your pal. Wonderful. Nan in New Berlin. Nan, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. I don't, I don't know if anyone has mentioned this or not, but kudos to that daycare because they're showing the parents they truly care about your child. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not babysitting. It's I'm concerned about your child as an individual. And they're not demanding it. They're right. suggesting it, and that's what a daycare should do. Right, and that's also, I mean, I, I, I think it's got to be food for thought for parents sometime that, you know, right, I, I haven't seen my child all day, and he or she is really excited that they they, right. they, they painted this picture, that, you know, they, they drew this picture for me or something. G- give the kid 30 seconds before you get back on the phone and say, oh, that's lovely. And, just, you know, it's it's that type of stuff. And sometimes I just think we forget we forget these things with all the modern conveniences yeah. and the modern demands we have, man. Yeah. Well, thank you very thank, much. Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in less than 25 minutes. Can anything be done to realistically save Grand Avenue Mall in downtown Milwaukee? But right now, I call this segment Dealer's Choice. It's one of the topics. Maybe it's not the biggest topic of the day, but I think it's very, very interesting and maybe one of the most talkable topics of the day, and this comes from the UW system. The UW chancellor is a woman named Rebecca Blank. Matter of fact, we talked about her yesterday. She was uh, she was getting heat from some of the, the left-wing groups at UW for announcing uh, a plan to at least have the regents look at whether or not they wanted to have background checks of students. What happened is you had this student who was admitted who had been convicted of burning black churches and he was on campus he was admitted as a student and he was um, in the process of organizing a what 
allegedly was a white supremacist, supremacist political party. So Rebecca Blank says, well, maybe, you know, as, as part of the application process, we need to do a little bit of screening to determine if these people we're admitting to the campus have... I don't know, have, have been have felony convictions and have been convicted of serious crimes. Now, to me, that, that made a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know. If I had a kid that was going to UW, um, I guess I would be curious as to whether or not their roommate had just gotten out of prison for sexual assault. Call me old-fashioned. But, of course, that became controversial. So, anyhow, now Rebecca Blank is back with a different idea. Here's what she is proposing. Now, follow me on this. Students who transfer from one of several two-year colleges to UW-Madison, okay, so this, this is the criteria. First, you have to have attended one of the two-year colleges. You had to transfer to Madison. And if you are the first in your family to get a college degree, so if mom or dad or brothers and sisters, presumably, don't have college degrees, you're the first in the family to get a degree, and you've gone to a two-year college, the proposal is that you would get at least one year of tuition free at UW-Madison. Um, UW-Madison would also change the contracts that guarantee admission for students who spend two years at UW colleges and certain technical schools. The new contracts would require students to maintain perhaps a higher GPA while at the two-year schools and provide better information about classes that they would have to take. In addition... So everybody who fits this criteria, you've gone to a two-year UW school, and you're the first in your family to go to college. Everybody who meets these criteria would get one free year of tuition. Those who are eligible for federal Pell Grants for low-income students would have two years of tuition covered, meaning you could essentially finish your degree at UW-Madison without paying for tuition at all. And Rebecca Blank says the enhanced transfer contracts and commitment to provide aid for first-generation students gives Wisconsin families greater access to one of the top research and academic uh, institutions in the world. The proposal, however, depends on UW-Madison receiving sufficient new investment in the budget. So the idea is we're not going to do this unless state state legislators, you give us enough money to do it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. So here's the essence of the idea. Nobody in your family has graduated from college. You go to a two-year school, and then you keep your GPA up. You would be able to go to UW-Madison for at least one year for free, maybe two years for free, if you are low income. The rest of the taxpayers would pick that up. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, free stuff is always a good idea. No no question about it. Free stuff is always a good idea, but free stuff you know, isn't always free. In other words, somebody's going to have to pay for it, and that somebody is going to be the taxpayers of the state. Should we do this? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. First-generation students. Nobody in your college, nobody in your family has graduated from college. Mom and dad didn't graduate from college. You go to a two-year school. In Should you, if you maintain a certain GPA, should you get a free ride for the rest of your college career at UW? 
for first-generation college students. Mom and dad did not go to college. Um, the kid goes to a two-year Wisconsin school. If they maintain a certain grade point average, they can then be admitted to UW-Madison and get their first-year tuition free, meaning the taxpayers pick up the tab. If they qualify for federal aid like Pell Grants, they would get two years free. All right, what do you think? Kathleen in McGuanago. Kathleen, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I just turned on, and I may have missed something, but I'm going to pay for this as a taxpayer, and my grandchildren are not going to qualify because their parents are college graduates. Yep, Yep. you're you're out of luck. Yeah, and also just because the student's parents didn't graduate from college does not mean that they cannot afford the tuition. Kathleen? Yeah, see that—that's the first thing I I thought of too uh, about this because it's it's not it's not based on on need at all. So what about a situation where you have uh, a husband and wife, for example, high school graduates who start a restaurant or start a dry cleaning business or, or whatever, and it happens to be incredibly incredibly successful. So now they've got a chain of dry cleaning things, and they're worth a few million dollars. But their first generation, they neither one of them went to college. Do the tax should the taxpayers of Wisconsin really be picking up the tab for their kid to go to school? I mean, I I just throw that out no, there. Uh-uh. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, again, if you wanted to, if you wanted to tie this into you know some degree of need that we need to figure out a way, if if we need to figure out a way to get more, you know, economically challenged students into the UW system. Okay, then at least I think reasonable people can consider it. But just to say automatically that that anybody who is a first-generation college student should get a free ride, to me, is crazy, just absolutely crazy. I agree totally. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. And again, that's not being anti-education. But but it's just I'm, I'm trying to think through these because we, we have these certain assumptions that are out there. And in some respects, I, I think this is these are sort of the assumptions that you get from some of the elitists that are there. The assumptions is that that if somebody if somebody doesn't have a college degree, well, they, they can't succeed in this world. And, and I appreciate believe me, I, I appreciate the values in education. I mean, I went to college. I went to law school. I, I appreciate that there is a value in, in education. But at the same time, there's all sorts of people who are doing extremely well. I mean, what about the people who, you know, after high school got into the trades and, you know, have never you know, graduated from a place like UW, but they have this entire skill set, and, and they're doing real well. And, you know, they, they've been able to carve out a really good middle class or upper middle class life. This proposal just assumes that those people, you know, can't afford to send their kids to school. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of elitist? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. David and Beaver Dam. David, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Yes, this is absolutely the most wonderful idea uh, ever. I just want to know one thing. Yeah. Who's, who's taking the pay cut? The professors? The chancellor? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, no, no. She is very clear in rolling this out. The only way this goes into effect is if the legislature gives the UW system more money, which means nobody's taking oh, a pay no. cut, my friend. You and I no, are no, picking no, up no, the tab. No, no, no. No, no, she could take a pay cut. <laughs> I, 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 I firmly believe, I've, I've argued this with students, and I've had, I've, I've convinced them, you know what? Professors ought to be taught, uh, ought to be paid by the teaching hour. Um, well, no, I, th- thanks, I guarantee you, 
I guarantee you that the funding for this proposal, and it's kind of up in the air. I, I think I saw a number that they said maybe there's like 5,000. Um, I, I don't know how many might be they anticipate would be covered by this. But but at the same time, no, I can guarantee you that, um, okay, let's see. Uh, the campus had 5,440 first-generation undergraduates, those who came from households in which neither parent has a college degree in the 2015-2016 year. So now that's not that, – that does include – you know, people presumably who, you know, enrolled as freshmen. But there, there's still a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of first-generation, you know, undergraduates. But let me also raise this question. Why do you single out first-generation undergraduates for this? I mean, what about a situation where, okay, dad went to college or mom went to college, but still, they're, they're even with that college degree, they're not making, you know, they're, they're having trouble. They're struggling, you know, economically. Dad's got a college degree in, I don't know, something that doesn't really translate into being able to make a lot of money. Why are you singling out? Why aren't you saying, okay, that, that child, that child of the child who, you know, the parent who's been to college but still, you know, is economically disadvantaged, that child is less worthy to go to school? I mean, really? 414-799-1620. Michelle in Appleton. Michelle, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I guess one of my concerns is uh, everyone keeps talking about, you know, even if the parents didn't go to college, they may have, you know, good jobs and flourishing lives and be able to afford to send their kids to school. Right. Whatever happened to the kids staying for school like I did? <laughs> you mean you actually, Michelle, worked your way through school? <laughs> I did. I started working 14 years old, saving yeah. my money, took a loan out uh, my junior year in order to finish it up and paid off my loan within five years. Um, the well, American way. Uh, well, well, it, it used to be the American way. I'm not yeah, sure it yeah, is no, anymore. Yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, well, no, I mean, thanks. And it, look, I, I, um, I, I always tell the story. My, my late wife was the first member of her family to go to college, much less law school. And she did exactly the same thing. I mean, she... She she paid for her entire education. She went to UWM. She worked her way through school. She was really really smart, so she got some scholarship help. But you know she worked her way through school, and the same thing with law school. And she took out the loans, and you know, ultimately we ended up paying them off over time. But she got some scholarships. You you can in fact do that. Is it a tougher road to hoe? Absolutely. But but people can. Tom in Racine. Tom, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. You know, as a rule, I, I generally think that incentives for uh, receiving or going to get an education for oneself are, are a good idea. Mm-hmm. However, I do think it's kind of an elitist approach uh, to to say that, you know, if you're not going into college, it's, it's kind of, or, you know, like the UW system, it's kind of like, a, uh, you know, a dirty smudge on your cheek. But yeah. as a tradesman myself, I've, I went into what I went into because I had a passion for metalworking. Right. Um so I feel like there, it should be a good idea as a rule for there to be incentives, mm-hmm. but they need to figure out who's going to pay for it, and they need to not discount the fact that there are thousands of jobs out there that require skilled labor yeah. as tradesmen uh, as tradesmen uh, possess and. and well, and also, Tom, it, it, it is elitist because it assumes. So, so you you don't have a four year college degree, right? You do no, not. I, right? I, right. No, I do not. Okay, right, and it, and it assumes because you don't have a college degree, and let's assume for the sake of argument that your wife doesn't have a, a college degree. It assumes 
that you are not able to, you know, help your kid, you know, go to college. And, and that's, that is an absolutely elitist approach that, that's there. It's not means tested at all. It's not based on income. So you can mo- be the most successful sheet metal fabricator or whatever in Wisconsin and be doing really, really well. But we're going to give this to you. We're going to have the taxpayers give this to your child because we assume that, well, that's the only way we could get your kid to college because otherwise you couldn't send them there. That, that's a very arrogant elitist approach. No question about it. I agree with you. I, I as a as a tradesman, I, I'm I I went to you know I was in trades learning for two years, mm-hmm. and during that time I was working. Now, I'm around fifty k a year, yeah. and I'm able to take care of my family, and that should not be balked at. I'm proud of yeah. the work that I do, and I think others should learn to be proud to learn to do the work that they're going to do and seek it out voluntarily right and and do the stuff i mean thanks for the call and and do the stuff that you have an aptitude on um i went to nicolay high school when i graduated they all in glendale and and it was viewed as a maybe it still is viewed as a college prep school and they always bragged about the fact and i'm getting on my soapbox again on this they always bragged about the fact that they had like a 98 percent college placement rate well they never told you what the college graduation rate was and i look i have nothing against going to college but the uh, I certainly don't, but there were a lot of people that didn't belong in the so-called four-year colleges. They, they just didn't, and, and that's not a knock, okay? I mean, that's not a knock. You, you need people who can, can do skilled stuff. You need people who can work with their hands. You need people who to be the electricians and to be the plumbers and, you know, to do all the wiring and stuff that needs to be done. You, you don't need for – look, I don't have the aptitude to do that stuff. I think there's stuff that I can do that other people can't, but I also appreciate there's a lot of stuff that I just don't have the aptitude and ability to do. And the truth of the matter is college isn't necessarily for everybody, but I think it is ridiculous to assume that just because you don't have a college degree, that somehow means that you need help or your family needs help for your kid to be able to, to go to school. I, I think that's arrogant. It is this elitist type of thing. And, uh, again, if if you want to talk about, hey, we need to get more people from low-income families into UW, all right, that's, I think, a reasonable debate to have. And I'm willing to have that debate. And then let's, like, look at the numbers and see how much it's going to cost. But just this blanket thing that, here, we're going to have this rule, and it's going to be automatic, Regardless of how successful mom and dad have been, that's, that is this arrogant elitism that you get from academia nowadays. <music> Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Sue and Light Lodi. Sue and Light Lodi hits it. The same point I was about ready to make. Jeff. Did a former Milwaukee County board member now serving the legislature write up this idea? Free tuition for first-generation undergrads reminds me of free bus rides for senior citizens in Milwaukee County. What could go wrong? Oh, yeah, a huge budget shortfall. Right, that's the insanity of this go-pass. Now, they've started to modify it a little bit. But remember when they originally rolled out the the go-pass? Free bus rides for everybody in Milwaukee County once you hit 65. How dare you oppose that? Do you hate senior citizens? Forget the fact that senior citizens didn't ask for this. Forget the fact that senior citizens care about it. Forget the fact that, okay, maybe you've got a senior citizen who's... I don't know, with their retirement accounts or is working or whatever, somebody who's 65 years old that's worth 3 or $4 million, yeah, should the rest of the taxpayers really be giving that person free bus rides? Yeah, Sue is right. What could go wrong? Oh, yeah, a huge budget shortfall.
Okay, snowflake alert. Carroll University, formerly Carroll College, now Carroll University in Waukesha, celebrates Founders Day. So, all right, they're they're celebrating Founders Day, and they decide, hey, you know, we want to bring a, we want to bring a keynote speaker into you know into the university um, and to to talk. Okay, and, and so one of the things we'd really like to do is is maybe, you know, we can find, let's find somebody who's an alumnus of, of Carroll to, to speak, somebody who's a prominent alumnus of Carroll. So what they do is they go out and they invite Daniel Kelly. Now, Daniel Kelly, if you do not know, is the newest member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And according, you know, to his bio, uh, Justice Kelly was born in California, grew up in Colorado, uh, before coming to Carroll, where he graduated in um, 1986. Um, So, I mean, there you go, according to the bio. So he was, uh, you know, born there. So they invite him to come out to speak, says we are proud of all, and, you know, they say this is a great, you know, idea here. You know, we're proud of our alumni who have achieved great success. Justice Kelly will speak about citizenship, this year's campus theme, at our annual Founders Day event, which celebrates our history as Wisconsin's first four-year institution of higher learning. Okay, so this is good. You've got, you know, a state state Supreme Court justice, who's an alumni of Carroll University. It's Founders Day. It seems like it is a perfect match. Let's celebrate somebody who's got a Carroll degree who has achieved great things. Well, all right, snowflake alert. Um, More than 175 people have signed a petition on change.org, like who cares, as of yesterday, stating that the university should rescind Kelly's invitation as despite the fact that he has achieved all these outstanding things and he's the newest member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court because it's a direct contradiction of the inclusive environment that Carroll seeks to construct. The argument is that, well, um, he, he has been hostile to the LGBT community in some of his writings. And therefore, since he does not in our opinion, or at least in the opinion of the people who started the petition, since he does not embrace our view of what what rights should be extended to the LGBT community. And, and by the way, I don't think that there is this uniform position on this. I mean, remember the controversy a while back where you had Miriam Ben Shalom, who was very, very instrumental in fighting for um, gay women to be, you know, given, gays in general, and gay women in particular, be given equal rights in the military. You know, she got on the outs with the LGBT community because she didn't embrace the idea that, hey, we, we necessarily should have transgender people being able to use whatever bathrooms. Well, she got disinvited as uh, the, like a parade marshal for one of the great pride things. So the point is, you have, even within the LGBT community, you have a diversity of opinion. But in this particular situation, you've got some people who think that, well, we, we can't have him here. We This is just, we, we'll be recognizing, you know, all the, the, these evil views and somebody who just does not embrace our agenda entirely. And that's contrary to the inclusiveness of Carol. Snowflake alert. Message to the people signing this petition. All right. You do not have a monopoly on insightfulness 
As a matter of fact, if you want to talk about inclusiveness, what you need to do is include people whose views might not match 100% with yours. And just because somebody doesn't agree with you about everything doesn't mean that they are a hater, and it certainly doesn't mean that their accomplishments shouldn't be celebrated. So snowflake alert, at least some people are trying to block the appearance of Justice Kelly at Carroll University. My guess is Carroll is going to do exactly what they should do, which is say, thanks for the petition, change.org. Pound sand, welcome Justice Kelly. All right, I remember, I used to work downtown, in downtown Milwaukee, when they first built the Grand Avenue Mall. Grand Avenue was a project of the Roush Company, which had done, they did Harbor Place in, in Baltimore, which essentially took a red light district around the Inner Harbor and turned it into what is a growing, thriving area to this day. I mean, it's amazing. You've got hotels that are down there. You've got the National Aquarium. You've got restaurants. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Grand Avenue never took off like Harbor Place did. When they first built Grand Avenue, you had on the east end of Grand Avenue, and for people who might not be familiar with downtown Milwaukee, you're, you're essentially talking Grand Avenue is the space um, you know, starting after the Milwaukee River on Wisconsin Avenue going up to about 8th Street. When, when Grand Avenue was first built, you had... It was Gimbel's, right? It was it was Gimbel's. Um, initially, on the east end, you had Boston Store, which was an anchor on the other end, and then you had all these different shops that were were there. Um, I can remember on a regular basis going to the, the food court at, at Grand Avenue. They had it was on the third level. They had all these different. Well, food court type of restaurants, but it was huge. And you would have business people. I mean, I worked at the old federal building, 517 East Wisconsin Avenue. We'd walk four, we'd walk four or five blocks across the river, you know, then go into Gimbel's and then you take the skywalks across. But the place used to be packed. I mean, it was, it was thriving. And you had a lot of stores and shops, which were, you know, which would bring people to the area. Grand Avenue, well, it, it thrived for a while. And the reality is for the last Certainly, the last decade, probably a lot longer than that, it it has been, it has been struggling. Retail stores in general have abandoned it. You you have like the the Gimbel's store that that left. It was replaced by another department store. That one's now gone. Turned into apartments. Um, the the retail shops that were there nowhere near what they were in the past. And people are trying to figure out ways to revitalize this. And there's been one idea after another, and and they've largely. It might be too unkind to say failed, but it hasn't really succeeded. So here's the the latest plan that's out there. The restaurants in the shops of Grand Avenue's food court, which are still on on the third floor, but there's nowhere near as many of them as they were in the heyday. Apparently, they're going to now move them to the first floor. And the idea is they're going to turn the area where the food court is, the upstairs area, they're going to turn that into, you know, office space as part of the redevelopment and the the idea the plan is that what we're going to do is we're going to have essentially office space um off of the street level and we're going to try to convert that street level we're going to put a food court and we're going to try to uh, again bring retail stores maybe some restaurants we're to try to put them into that first level and that is what we're going to do and that's how we're going to revitalize grand avenue 414-799-1620 800-877-1620 that's the acunate mortgage toll-free talk line
let's just confront this. Can Grand Avenue be saved? Can it ever be what it was when it was first built? And I understand that there's a lot of people who are saying, well, if you look at this as part of a major downtown renovation, if you look at this as part of expanding the convention center and building, you know, the new Bucks Arena several blocks away, this this is a key element to revitalizing downtown and people will start coming in and people will start shopping. And you're going to have maybe more people living downtown, and they will be inclined to walk over and patronize Grand Avenue. Is that realistic? Or is Grand Avenue just kind of doomed to be a white elephant um, from now into the future? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. You know, can these new plans succeed what needs to be done to make it succeed? Um, is there anything we can do that will generate, I don't know, that suburban, for example, there was a time, there was a time when people from the suburbs actually drove to downtown Milwaukee on weekends, for example, and, and shopped at the Grand Avenue Mall. That's I, those times I, I think are gone. I, I can't see I can't see somebody from Wauwatosa or I can't see somebody from Brookfield, you know, passing up Mayfair, passing up Brookfield Square, driving down to shop at the Grand Avenue. I can't see somebody from Mequon, for example, passing up Bayshore Town Center, you know, to drive downtown. But but I guess at the same time, if there's enough of a renaissance downtown, maybe maybe it could maybe it could work or maybe not. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Michael in Waukesha. Michael, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, there are plenty of shopping options out here in uh, the surrounding counties. Right. Nobody wants to come downtown and be subject to the violence that prevails in the city of Milwaukee. Right. So you're not going to you're go- not going to get the suburban housewives or families on the weekends or on the evenings. They're going to drive down to Grand Avenue to shop. No, they're not. They're afraid to. Do you think that they're okay? They're they're talking about uh, again trying to have this downtown renaissance. Do you think that there's going to be a- enough people who are going to live in the immediate downtown area or the third ward or whatever who might decide, hey, now I'm going to start patronizing Grand Avenue to make it work? I guess it's possible, but uh, if you don't have the, the people that live in the surrounding counties coming into the city, yeah. where's the renaissance? And it's going to take more than a new. A publicly funded stadium for the Bucks. It's going to take more than revamping Grand Avenue. You need to stop the crime. Yeah, the, the yeah. The, I mean, <laughs> they, they, I mean, right. The the idea. I mean, it's 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 great to have a, a food court on the first level, I guess. But you know, that in and of itself, you know, you got to wonder. And given all the office space that's available in downtown Milwaukee, and I, I do think there's been a bit of a renaissance. But I'm trying to think if I were. I don't know if if I had a law firm and I was looking to try to find space, would would it be in Grand Avenue or would it be in some of the other places, particularly um, east of the river, where you really have started to see a major renaissance? For and I, I don't I don't mean to I, I don't mean to be negative on this, but at the same time I'm, I'm hearing all these grand plans. But I've been hearing grand plans for the last twenty years, and the truth is that nothing has worked so far. Bill in Greendale, Bill, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bill. I, I have got really fond memories of Grand Avenue. My aunt used to take me down there around Christmas time when I was a real young child. Right. And I remember a restaurant 
called Hot Sam's, where you could get a pretzel and mustard to dip it in. And it was just, we loved going to Grand Avenue. It was decorated so nice for Christmas. But Grand Avenue's over. And um, I drive around town for as part of my job. And, and, you know, it's not a safe place to be. And uh, it... There's homeless. There's the homeless people coming up and down from the Milwaukee Rescue Mission, up and down those major thoroughfares, and you're approached regularly by beggars, and and it's not, it's not clean. It's mm-hmm. you know there's nice, clean, safe places to go. I in fact mentioned to my wife two Christmases ago that I'd like to go down there, and she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, wait, have you just grown a second head there, Bill? And your shoulders? Right. Yeah. yeah, she just she just absolutely. We've got a seven year old son, and I wanted him to see what I used to see. But those are dreams. Those yeah. are memories. Yeah, and those yeah. are those memories are over, and now we've moved on to to nicer, newer, cleaner, safer things. And I, good right. luck to the Bucks because. Well, well, right. I mean, think, well, see, but at least that. See, there, there. But see, that's the other interesting thing because the Bucks. They're talking about an entertainment district, but it's away from Grand Avenue. I mean, they're talking about, I mean, the entertainment district they're talking about is going to be to the north of the new stadium, which is several blocks away from Grand Avenue. I understand that there's going to be, I I think the plan would be, okay, maybe you can park there and you'll walk five or six or seven blocks or whatever it is. But I I don't, this idea that we're going to integrate this all in, I, I think in many respects is kind of pie-in-the-sky sort of stuff, but there still have to be the things that are going to attract people and the businesses that are going to go there. Now, as far as crime, some people would say the concerns about crime are are overrated and it's safe and those type of things. But, you know, you raise an interesting point with the homeless stuff. I mean, keep in mind there was that Dunkin' Donuts that's a couple blocks further to the west on Wisconsin Avenue. They were open 24 hours. Well, okay, they, they lost their license. You know, they, they're no longer allowed to be open 24 hours, not because they were a problem business, but you had too many people loitering outside, and the Common Council said, well, okay, this the fact that the business is open is attracting panhandlers, and rather than dealing with the panhandler problem, we're going to close down the the, the business. 414-799-1620. Okay, let's get a different perspective. Jeremy downtown. Jeremy, good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, I'm actually in the Grand Avenue right now. Okay. Or not. <laughs> I, I do and, believe um, it. Yeah. It couldn't be safer down here. I can't. It's maybe a perception more than a reality. Right. My office is right down here. I walk the street every day. My whole team is generally women who walk the area. You know, so I, I, that is just a misinterpretation. But if, if you're looking at the Grand Avenue, be the shops again. That's not what the new plans right. are meant to be. It's meant to be more of a food experience. It's meant to have a grocery store. It's meant to have apartments and just multiple right. uses. So I think people, you know, if you tell the whole story of what the, the revamp is going to be, it's not about creating the next target down here. That's right. not what they're, the area is looking for. I mean, there's still 5,000 people that use that food court a day. There's definitely people that come from all the surrounding buildings that live and work down here that visit these restaurants. So, Is, you, is it going to work? Do you yeah, think it's, it's going to work? It, it definitely work. It will work because there's. I mean, the mar- the public market has a demand for new businesses to move in there. Doing wow. a, like an urban marketplace or a food, moving the food court down and having more of those micro enterprises is going to attract more people. Right. There's plenty of businesses down here that eat there every day. Well, the public market on there's no question. The public market on Water Street, just south of Wisconsin Avenue, has been a huge success. I mean, I, I go down there. I patronize several of those restaurants, and right. um, it, it, it's an incredible success. So, you think that model could work for Grand Avenue? Absolutely, it's not a question. I mean, the demands there. You know, there's demand for more space there. There's you know, there's definitely a demand for more 
kitschy, unique restaurants that would fit that kind of smaller scale that aren't, you know, a big a big box type of chain restaurant. Well, um, it it will be interesting to see Jeremy because that's that's the plan, and that's of course a different plan than the last three or four or five plans have been. And I think it is dependent on whether or not there's enough people that live. It, it look, it's it's not going to be people from the suburbs. That that's just the reality of it. The question is going to be, I think, you know, are there going to be enough people? Is there going to be enough of a population base who are willing to go to Grand Avenue as opposed to the public market or opposed to the the stuff that's on the east side to support it? Clearly, that would be great for the city of Milwaukee. I'm still a little bit skeptical. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eric Pilsnett, do you have a minute to hang around and listen to the story? Sure. I want to get, okay. Uh, this is how we start off. Um, JS Online, Jim Stingle, who's one of the local columnists, he has... I find it to be a fascinating, fascinating column. I assume it's going to be in tomorrow's paper, but it's posted online now. So let me let me okay. share this with you, Eric, and then we'll, we'll start off. And I'm going to give you the first chance to weigh in. Coffee Clatch's breakfast at McDonald's ends with a boot for loitering. This is Jim writing in the Journal Sentinel. Again, it's available online. My day at McDonald's started with breakfast in the boot. That's right. I was kicked out of McDonald's on Milwaukee's east side this week. It's what I get for hanging with the wrong crowd. In this case, the restaurant's morning coffee clutch. Every McDonald's has one. Our offense, we lingered too long and were busted for violating the 30-minute time limit, even though there were other empty tables. Uh, he's at the McDonald's on... Uh, 1614 East North Avenue, mm-hmm. which is just a little bit to the west of, of Oakland. So it's on the east side. Um, and apparently there's a bunch of regulars. They've got it's a 30-minute time limit. He says there's a security guard that comes up when they've been there at 42 minutes. You've got to start wrapping it up. All right? One of the group apparently leaves. So this is 42 minutes. 25 minutes later, the guard comes through and says, I need you all to pack it up, please. And then they, they toss them out. So these, the limit is 30 minutes. They were there for going on an hour yeah. and 15 minutes. Right. And the guard comes by and says, you know, you, you, you've got to leave. Now, he says there's, there's empty tables, so it's not like there's people preventing. People pre- from, preventing yeah. But at the same time, they're saying, hey, we, we've got these, you know, we've got these rules that we don't want people saying, staying all this time. They, they say that this particular McDonald's has been plagued with street people sleeping in the booths with all their bags and possessions, bathing in the restrooms, panhandling the drive through lane, and causing disturbances. So the owners adopted this policy that 30 minutes, you know, and then in this case they're enforcing it, but they don't enforce it at 30 minutes. They, they say, they, they give them about an hour and 15 minutes. Now these people aren't panhandlers, but they're just sitting and sitting and sitting at the McDonald's. All right. Now, Eric Bilstead, I'm going to give you the first chance to weigh in. We're going to open the phone lines, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Okay, so that's the McDonald's policy, 30 minutes, and then you got to vacate the table. In this case, it's an hour and 15 minutes, and they tell the people, you you got to leave after an hour and 15 minutes. Is that... Is it unreasonable for a restaurant to have a policy like that? 414-799-1620. You get the chance to weigh in first, Mr. Bilstadt. You think that, putting you on the spot here, no, you think that's fine. unreasonable? You know what? I uh, Obviously, they, they let it slide a little bit. They let them stay for more than an hour. This happens everywhere. Go to any Starbucks and people just sit and open up their laptop and hang out there and have one cup of coffee. Right. Uh, so I, I understand what McDonald's is trying to do, but... 
Who cares? Who cares if they're sitting there having coffee and talking? If anything, you know they're going to come back the next day and do it again. Why ask them to leave? There's there's no reason, unless you had a line a mile long outside the restaurant with people waiting to sit down. Okay, so then what do you do with the, the street person okay, who comes now, in? You and... can argue that's different, right? That's two different things. You have a well, customer compared well, okay, to street... someone who's using the bathroom Okay, well, the street person up. comes in, buys a cup of coffee, and then decides that they want to take up residence in the booth. Different. There's, there's. I, how do you, how do you, how do you distinguish? On. Okay, no, come no, on. but seriously, okay, I, I seriously, how do you distinguish I, between? Okay, you're the street person that has the cup of coffee, um, and you've got your your three garbage bags full of stuff sitting here. We want you to leave, but we don't want the, but we're not going to let the people leave. There is a difference between a street person snuggling up with their three bags of stuff and sleeping on the bench. Yeah. And a group of people that come there every day and, and buy a couple of things and sit and communicate and so just the, have a conversation. So the street person comes in every day with the buys the cup of coffee and decides they want to nap for an hour and fifteen that, minutes. That, you, okay, well if Stingle fell asleep on there, then they should ask him to leave too. If you fall asleep while you're in there, then no, you have to go. Oh, right. That there there is this, Eric's bill. Okay, four one four. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. So this McDonald's has this policy that. Okay, you're you're not supposed to stay more than thirty minutes. Um, they they give these folks an hour and fifteen minutes, and then the security guard says, "Hey, you have to move along." Is that an unreasonable policy for a restaurant to have? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Jenny in Wabatosa. Jenny, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ. Hi, good morning. What do you think? Uh, one of the things, though, is when um, I sometimes get coffee at um, a McDonald's probably close to there. And uh, one of the, the things is that a lot of those people just get a cup of coffee and then sit there for hours yep, and exactly. take up tables yep. and get free refills for yep. hours. Yeah, no, that's, I, I'm sure that's what's going on. It's kind of like this um, is our place to hang out. Sure. And it's, it's hard as they're causing no trouble then when you get a bunch of teenagers in there and they're sitting, you know, there for hours. You have to kind of have the same rules for everybody. Yeah, right. See, and that I guess that's the point I was kind of implying when I was just talking to Eric. I don't think you can. I, I mean, I mean, I understand in the real. I understand in a real world, there's a difference between like three senior citizens sitting there with their one cup of coffee and hanging out, talking for an hour and a half, with and somebody else coming in with all their possessions and putting them in a booth and buying a cup of coffee and sitting there for several hours. But practically, you got it. It seems to me you got to treat everybody the same way. I mean, so the question becomes: Are you going to are you going to let the business just become a hangout place for people for hours and hours and hours every day? It's a hard call. Um, thanks for call. 414-799-1620, 1620 It is a hard call. But from the perspective, I guess, of, of restaurateurs, I have to tell you, I don't think it is an unreasonable position to say, you know, we, we've got to turn tables, and we're, we're not – I don't know. We're we're not a public waiting room. You know, we are in fact a, a business, and at some point in time, we we need to turn these the, these tables. And even if there isn't anybody waiting, we don't want to be in a position where okay, we're just going to have people sitting for hours and hours and hours who've bought their one cup of coffee. Let's talk to Dick and Grafton. Dick, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, McDonald's or any other restaurant doesn't have any choice. If they're going to have a 30-minute time limit, they have to enforce it equally, whether it's you and I who have bought a cup of coffee and are sitting there for an hour, 
or if it's a street person or a homeless right. person who bought the cup of coffee. If they, if they if strictly enforce it with the street people and homeless people, then right. McDonald's is going to get sued for discrimination based yeah. on a number of protected classes. Right. And, and, you know, heaven forbid that the individual is disabled right. or has a handicap or is a member of a minority group. Right. Yeah, you, you have so, to. I agree with you. You have to enforce a policy across the board. Let me ask you this, though, Dick. Should, should McDonald's care? Should they have the policy? I mean, as long as somebody comes in and buys a cup of coffee, regardless of who they are, should McDonald's, should, should McDonald's let them sit for three or four, for, you know, for an hour or two hours or three hours? I mean, is this a reasonable policy to begin with? I think it's a reasonable policy because if they did not have a policy like that, They'd have a half a dozen street people or right. homeless people camping out in there, and it's going to drive business away. Uh, having right. the policy and enforcing it to everyone, uh, including you and I, yep. uh, is, is, is what's going to keep the, the integrity of the dining room. And when they lose the integrity of the dining room, they're doomed. I see. I, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I again. I thanks for I mean, I I agree with you, and I know all the all these restaurants have have regulars, and I appreciate in in the story that the Jim Stingle writes in his column. He's saying, look, there's, there's other tables that are available, but you know, I mean, restaurants. And I know this is a challenge that restaurant owners have to have about the people who who linger. You know, you, you want the regulars to come in, but it's the person that comes in, they, they, they have their one cup of coffee, so they spend their dollar or whatever that is, and then they just sit and they sit and they sit there. And even in this particular case, I guess it's, it was, they weren't taking up a table, but at the same time, can, can you let somebody just sit there all day? Does your place of business essentially become, I don't know, sort of an, an adult daycare facility or whatever? This is the place where we're going to go and, and hang out. And you know, is it unreasonable for a place of business to put, um, you know, some limits on there? And I have to tell you, just reading the story, I don't think it's an unreasonable position. So the security guard says, okay, they're not strictly enforcing the 30-minute limit. It's okay, you've been here for 45 minutes. We, you know, you might want to think about wrapping this up. And then they sit for another half hour or whatever. After that, they say, you've you got to move along. I guess I don't think that's necessarily an unreasonable position to have, you do, I guess, risk turning off some customers, and, and maybe if the, the coffee clutch is upset about, hey, we're only going to have an hour and 15 minutes to hang out, okay, maybe the risk is they're going to take their business somewhere else, and that's the bis- risk that the business runs, but I, I don't know. I think it's it's certainly reasonable. I don't think McDonald's is a bad guy here. I, I just don't, because I agree with Dick that at some point in time, you, you can't just have a rule and pick it out. Oh, you know, we we we're going to let you sit, but we're not going to let you sit. And from a business perspective, you you don't want to get you don't want to get that reputation that hey, this is going to be where people are just going to be able to come and loiter for hours and hours because that's going to hurt your business. Just saying. You can read the column. Um, it's online. Journal Sentinel, uh, JS Online. Thought it was an interesting one and certainly kind of thought provoking. I don't think McDonald's is the bad guy though. Eleven nineteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It's 11.20, WTMJ, 
721, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 16 degrees outside. The Bucks Western Road Swing continues tomorrow in the Mile High City. They're there to battle the Denver Nuggets. Voice of the Bucks, Ted Davis, has the call. Our coverage starts with Buck Shots. Tune in, 740 tomorrow evening. All right, this this story is categorized as the intolerance of of the left. There's a um, there's a guy. Um, his name is Milo Yiannopoulos, and he's he is. I think it would be fair to say he's a provocateur. He goes around and he, he was associated. He was an editor. He is an editor of Breitbart, and you know he goes around and he gives talks. And there, there's no question he he's sort of out there, and he's very very provocative. He's a Donald Trump supporter, but. Um, you know, he has a very, very on, large online following, and he does these speaking events at college campuses um, where he describes himself as, as dangerous. He's also, he's gay, and I, I only bring that up in the context of um, he, he's a conservative gay man who denounces a lot of the orthodoxy and challenges a lot of the assumptions that, for example, the gay community has. And, you know, his speeches are viewed, he's viewed as a hater, and, you know, some people say that this is hate speech and how terrible this is and things like that. But he goes around and speaks on college campuses. Um, a couple weeks ago, he was uh, supposed to give a speech at the University of California, Davis, um, about the limits of free speech and, and hate speech and all that type of stuff. Uh, the protests got... Um, so significant that the Davis College Republicans decided it was unsafe to continue the event after a large number of protesters blocked access to the arena. So the idea is you had these protesters who are out there trying to stifle this guy's right to, to speech. Well, yesterday he was supposed to give a presentation, give a speech of, at all places, the University of California, Berkeley, which, interestingly enough, back in the 60s, you know, University of California, Berkeley, was the, the – that's where, like, the free speech movement really started. I mean, if you if you want to trace that back to college campuses, which was, of course, a precursor to a lot of the things that happened later in the 60s, it goes back to UC Berkeley, the, the free speech thing. Well, um, he was supposed to speak at UC Berkeley. Um, that was canceled yesterday um, after – First of all, after protesters. Now, there were a number of protesters who were out there just protesting his speech. Okay, that's fine. But what ended up happening is that you had a, a group of demonstrators dressed in black who showed up and began throwing flares and other objects at the building. Some members of the group were wearing hooded sweatshirts. Um, and the idea being, hey, we're going to... We're going to try to, like, burn this building down. Some broke windows, um, lit fireworks, um, while others pulled away metal barricades in front of the building. So, in other words, uh, other parts of the campus had to be placed on on lockdown. And the argument was, well, we, we oppose what this guy is saying. And it's not free speech. We're in favor of free speech. But we think he engages in hate speech. Well, the problem is, who gets to decide what, what hate speech is? 
you know, free speech to you might be hate speech to me and or vice versa. But you have these groups of, of anarchists who are so challenged that you might have somebody who comes out. And I, I really I'm not endorsing some of the things that this guy says, because I think he's way, way, way over the top. But do I think on college campuses he has a right to say the stuff? And the answer is absolutely yes. And then people can listen to him speak and then they can decide, is this over the top? Is this hate speech? Hate speech? Or, you know, is he saying at least is he presenting a view that maybe other people need to hear and at least think about? But when it comes to the left, particularly on American college campuses now, they have decided, especially the anarchist left, they have decided that they're the ones that get to decide what people should be able to hear or not. And if somebody is going to be invited to speak on campus that, well, challenges that orthodoxy, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to put on masks or hooded sweatshirts and we're going to we're going to break windows and we're going to throw firecrackers and we're going to risk burning the building down because we don't want people to hear that alternative view. And it's I guess one of the most troubling things is you can understand why it might where it might happen in some places. But, you know, when it is happening Again, UC Berkeley, the heart of the free speech movement on campus, makes you wonder, really, what's going on? 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Identity thieves are now targeting your children, even babies. Michelle Richards found ways to help protect your kids' identities. Check them out in the Features tab of the WTMJ app. Okay, I understand there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. I understand that there's protests about uh, the travel ban that President Trump has implemented. I understand David Clark is controversial. I understand there's this idea of free tuition for UW students. I understand there's the Grand Avenue. I understand that there's all the anarchists that are going on. And, and, and we talk about that. Matter of fact, we have talked about that on the show this morning. But this is a feature. I devote the, the final segments of the program to this every Thursday. It's a carryover from when I was on in the afternoon. It's a segment I call Pop Culture corner it's it's our ability to kind of take a breath deep breath and now put aside a lot of the heavy lifting that we end up doing and some of the serious topics and just kind of have a little bit of fun we live stream it on facebook live and as a matter of fact we've now pushed the button we are up on facebook live so you can participate in that way as well you can watch us as we do watch us it's the royal us watch me as i do the show and you can participate with comments i check those during the course of the program now sometimes when we do pop culture corner i talk about movies that's one of my passions you know tv shows we talk about books and food and sports and all sorts of things um i try to tie it in to events that are going on i mean last week we talked about some tv related stuff because mary tyler moore had passed away uh this week of course in wisconsin the big news is Billy Joel is going to be playing Lambeau Field. Uh, Billy Joel, I had a chance to see him in concert with Elton John, does a really, really good show. I've never seen a concert at Lambeau Field, but i got to imagine that would be incredibly, incredibly cool. Um, we'll be going to be giving away tickets to see Billy Joel. Uh, we've got an Internet promotion right now, so if you go to WTMJ.com, you can check that out. But if you listen to my show, 830 to noon, next Monday through Friday, um, I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets each day. It's definitely going to be a great show. I have had the opportunity over the years to go to lots of great shows, sometimes in big venues, sometimes in small venues, 
And, you know, as I get a little bit older, I reflect back on some artists that I've seen, including artists that are no longer with us. You know, Summerfest is starting to roll out its lineup. They've got a lot of big acts coming. Tom Petty's going to be playing there two nights. You've got Pink. I've never seen her. You've got all sorts of interesting shows, and we're going to have more shows rolled out as time goes on. So I thought for Pop Culture Corner today, in recognition of the Billy Joel show being announced for June 17th at Lambeau Field, we would talk music, and we would take a walk down memory lane with concerts. So here's what I want to discuss with you. The best concert that you have ever been to, and you can define best however you want. Maybe it's, my gosh, the, the, the performer, the artist played for three hours, and it was this incredible experience. Maybe the best was, hey, it was this really intimate performance. Maybe it was, I, I didn't know who this person was, and I walked in, and all of a sudden, you know, I saw I saw this band, or I saw this performer before they were big, and then a month and a half later, their album hit, and I mean, I saw them in this little tiny venue. Maybe it's, hey, I went to this concert at Summerfest, and you know what? I was sitting there standing on the bleachers or standing on the picnic tables, and I met I met the guy I ended up marrying, or I met the woman I ended up marrying. So you can define best however you want. But let's have a little bit of fun this morning, and in recognition of Billy Joel coming to Lambeau Field, the best concert you have ever been at, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Again, we live stream this on Facebook. We're up right now, so you can participate there as well. My advice always is call in early because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get as many calls as we possibly can. And in addition to that, um, I generally say go with your first instinct. Sometimes people sort of overthink the stuff. Best concert you've ever been at, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Let's start with Jennifer in Butler. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning. I love listening to your pop culture segments. <laughs> They're so amazing. Well, it's always it's just a little bit of fun. We, know we, we do it a lot is. of heavy lifting, but sometimes I think we need to have a little fun. <laughs> exactly. Now, for me, I have to apologize. I have two concerts that, for me, at two ends of my spectrum life, have been amazing to me at different points in that life. Right. The first one, I will admit, I was a boy bander back in the heyday of my youth, and I saw the Backstreet Boys when they first came out. Okay, so when? Um, the, when, when okay, remind, would that would that have been like the eighties? Was that the Backstreet Boys? Eighties, nineties, okay. um, and they were at the Bradley Center. Okay. Uh, and the second one was also at the Bradley Center. Later on, with my now ex husband, um, was Eric Clapton. Oh. And for him, Eric Clapton was the god, and I for me to get these tickets <laughs> was the best. <laughs> but, so it but, was great. But the marriage still didn't take, huh? <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on that <laughs> right. topic, Jeff. You know, if very, you know, Jennifer, you talk about the Backstreet Boys and the boy bands. Um, my niece, who just turned 18 a week or two ago, um, we took her and one of her friends to Las Vegas a couple of years ago to see one direction one direction which was the that was the you know boy yeah, band of a few boy years band ago of this era <laughs> yeah. but but it was it was just amazing the crowd was almost all almost all teenage or tween girls and stuff like mm-hmm. that it was yeah fun. and and just around the uh, Justin Bieber's turning legal and uh, nobody really wants to admit they like him. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks for the call, Jennifer. 414-799-1620. Okay, Facebook Live. Kevin writes, I've seen many great concerts, but Paul McCartney at Miller Park in 2013, 70-plus-year-old, put on a three-hour 
in-your-face rock and roll show. Um, Ted writes, I've seen Moody Blues four or five times. Everyone was great. 414-799-1620. Mike, who's calling us from East Troy. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Um, one concert was bizarre was the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over okay. at uh, uh, the ski hill in East Troy. Oh, Alpine Valley, sure. Yeah, Alpine Valley. The funny part about it was, though, there was a woman that opened for him, and I and I cannot remember her name. She became a big star, but she was one of the first uh, musicians to come out as um, LGBT. Okay, right. Okay. Anyway, uh, what was funny was the crowd, I didn't know her, I didn't know anything about it, but a majority of the crowd sitting in that Gold Coast section, or right. you know, the, the seats, was women catering to this oh. lifestyle. As soon as she finished, they left. <laughs> All of them. They, and, of course, the, the Eagles, when they were doing those tours, they were the Eagles, I mean, were setting new records as to how much money they charged for tickets, right, especially the, the really good seats. And, well, we were just outside of those seats. We right. were on the grass. And as soon as those people left, we had second-row <laughs> seats. Yeah. There, there you see, that's it. Now, they, they, the Eagles, um, I saw them once, um, and, of course, you know now with Glenn Fry's passing, you're, you're not going to be see, you're not going to be able to see the Eagles as originally constituted again. Let's talk to Dan in Richfield. Dan, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good. Best concert you ever saw? I would say Kid Rock. Okay, uh, I've I never think... seen Kid Rock in concert. I never have, but I love Kid Rock stuff. He puts on a fabulous show. He's very patriotic. He thanks everybody for coming and spending their hard-earned money. Mm-hmm. Where did you see him? Do you remember? I don't know. I okay. think it was Summerfest. Okay, fair enough, right? Because he's played there. Fair enough. Uh, Lon writes, uh, I'm sorry, Lori writes, uh, took my mom to see Rod Stewart for her birthday a couple of years ago. Um, I was not really a Rod Stewart fan prior to that, but wow, was he energetic and fun. I've never seen an old man move that much. Which I saw Rod St- Stewart at Summerfest a few years back. I guess I had forgotten how many songs he had. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, uh, just a great songbook. It was that. And actually, if you call my cell phone, my ringtone is Maggie May, which I think is one of the great rock and roll songs of all time. All right, it's Pop Culture Corner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Participate also on Facebook Live, emails, everything. It's 1144 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We continue next. Forty-six. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Billy Joel is playing at Lambeau Field in June. We're talking about the best concert you ever went to. Carmen writes, when I was six, when I was 15, I went to Chicago to see the Beatles. What a show. What a blast. Jim writes, the Jimi Hendrix experience at the factory in Madison, 1967. Rock on, dude. Let's talk to um, let's see Nancy in Milwaukee. Nancy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nancy. Well, my favorite ever was in the early days of Summerfest, George Carlin came to town and everybody knew about the seven words you can't say on television. Right. (laughs) And so we made a gigantic banner. I mean, it had to be 20 feet long that said Carlin or bust or bust Carlin. (laughs) Right. And so when he came on in those days, they just had like very limited seating, small stage. And this was the early days of Summerfest. So he, uh, of course, got arrested. Yep. And... We had had our sign up, and in the journal printed in the paper the next day, someone must have known he was going to get arrested because they had a huge banner. Okay. So 
that was really fun. It was. Nancy, I know this is kind of like the Ice Bowl where people claim to be there. I wasn't at the Ice Bowl, but I was at that show, too. You were? I, I was. Arlo Guthrie opened. Arlo Guthrie yes, was the did. headliner. Siegel and Schwall, had, Blues Band, Brewer and yep, Shipley, oh, and George yep, Carlin. Corky Siegel, Jim yep, Schwall, I, yep. I was and, there uh, that night. All of us were girls, and of course we're going, Arlo Guthrie's wearing purple underwear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so you, must, you had better seats than I did. But yeah, I oh, would, well, no, you, we just went right up front, and I, then we held up our sign. <laughs> I was, uh, no, thanks. I was I was there with you. I, I did not realize that night that, that Carlin had gotten arrested, because we were kind of in the back, and you know the, the show went on. Read all about that afterwards. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Robert in Brookfield. Robert, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, this is a great topic. Thanks. So well, we're having a little fun. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, so I met a group of friends at Summerfest, and when I got there, they said, "Hey, we're going to go see the Charlie Daniels band." Okay. And I had this was not my music. I'm like, ah, oh, guys, I'm going to take a pass. Right. Okay? I said, I'm just going to pay. And I will tell you this because I share this story kind of all the time of how Summer Summerfest can surprise you. This was the best show that I had ever seen. He just kept going and going, and it was almost like I became possessed with his music. <laughs> right. And I was just like, I've never seen a crowd that was so engaged, and he was engaging, and the whole place was just having just the best time. Yeah. It was it was good, clean fun, and uh, I'll just always remember that as the, the curveball right. that, that came to me because I had no desire to go, right. and it was absolutely And fantastic. see, and that is what's so much fun. You, you go to certain shows, and you expect it's going to be a great show. You, you, go to, you go to a Paul McCartney show. You go to a Tom Petty show. I, I like Jimmy Buffett. You go to these shows, and you know what to expect, and it's kind of a known commodity, and, and you know you hope it's a good show, and you're going to enjoy it. But sometimes finding those artists that you have you don't know, you've never heard of, or you kind of heard of them, but you like you're saying, you don't think that much of them, and all of a sudden they just blow you away. That's one of the – that's a very cool thing about music, too. Absolutely. Great topic. Thanks, thanks. for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Mike in Kenosha. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. You uh, hit a home run with Maggie Me. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is my ringtone, honest to goodness. Oh, God, great song. <laughs> um, uh, the Boss with Clarence on the sax uh, about eight years ago at the Bradley Center. We were in the Cambria Club. And he, you know, they had the stage at the north end, right? And and God, we were right on top of him, and he'd turn around and play, play to the crowd, and he went three plus hours, right? And and stopped minimal. I, I bet in that time he didn't stop fifteen minutes to take a drink of water, and he just rocked on. Was that the first time you seen Springsteen, or you seen him before? Uh, that was my first time. I okay. wasn't a big. My wife was a, Spring, a Springsteen fan for right. forever, and. Uh, you know, I, I was some of the uh, some of the older older groups, but uh, he loved it. And and just I want to tell you one other short one. We then we saw Fleetwood Mac at, right. at uh, the Bradley Center not uh, about six years ago, five six years ago. Right. And uh, my daughters, I got two daughters that are, are were in their early thirties, and they said, "Oh God, Dad, do we have to go dragging us to that?" And we had a we had a seat right right, right opposite the stage. And uh, after that, my daughters talked about that forever. Yep. Boy, do those people rock! Oh, you know, it, you know. And thanks. It's funny. You, I mean, I, I, I've said this before. I, I, I've been to a lot of great concerts, but the one that always comes to mind is. I had front row seats to see Fleetwood Mac, I want to say 78, 79, at Alpine Valley. I didn't know they were front row seats. I was so stupid at the time. We just I called up, and I just happened to be in the queue when they were touring behind the Rumors album. And it was just, 
It was just, they played every song, literally they played every song they knew. Everyone on Rumors, everyone on the Fleetwood Mac thing. Um, Stevie Nicks, we're in the front row on you know, stage right tonight. She's dancing around. Oh, it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to say on the radio what my best friend was screaming at her. But it, w- it was very complimentary, but we'll let that go. Um, Facebook Live, Steve writes, a few years ago I went to Dave Matthews Band during Summerfest. Best concert by far, Bill Springer. Uh, writes uh, Willie Nelson at State Fair constant music from start to finish um, if you ever if you ever get a chance to see Willie Nelson um, I, I highly recommend it uh, Todd writes I saw the Eagles at the Cole Center uh, Joey says summer of 2011 I saw Jethro Tull, Jethro Tull down at the Rosemont Theater in Chicago let's talk to uh, let's see we've got Dick in Heartland Dick you're on 620 WTMJ hey glad you, glad you took my call thank you sir uh, Pink Floyd, okay. Army Stadium. Okay, back was, in the, was that the like that in the seventies, right? Oh yeah, late seventies. Okay. Yep. But I was with uh, my good friend who passed away, disc jockey Don Rockwell. Okay. And he was with Z- ZFM and QFM. I don't know if you remember those stations. I sure do. I remember QFM absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> ZFM was before that, but uh, anyhow, with Don Rockwell, we got to go sit right behind the glass. Okay. Special special place behind the glass with our own bathroom and so forth. You know, but Pink Floyd was. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, you know, I, Pink Floyd, you know, and Zeppelin. You put all those in the categories. Let's see. JJ writes John Cougar Mellencamp in Madison at the Cole Center. Um, five minutes after the show started, the entire crowd was on their feet for the next two hours. James Taylor, Fourth of July, front row center at the Marcus Queen with Freddie Mercury at the Milwaukee Arena in 1980. That's Suzanne. Uh, Queen with Freddie Mercury would have been an incredible, an incredible show to see. Let's talk to Amy in New Berlin. Amy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, one of the best concerts I ever saw, and I've seen a bunch of rock concerts, too, was Josh Groban when he was sick at the Cellular Arena. Okay. He the, he comes out, and it's black, uh, it's pitch black, and you hear the beginning you know, chords and whatnot, and he starts singing, and my girlfriends and I, we all looked at each other and we're like, he's sick. There's right. something wrong. He's sick. And he sings the opening song and then he comes out after that and he's like, as you might have noticed, I'm not feeling really well right now. And my manager said to me, we have two options. We can cancel the concert or you can lip sync. And he said, I said to my manager, neither one of those is acceptable. So I'm going to do the show and hope the audience understands. And it was almost, I've been to Packer games and the only thing I can equate it to is the enthusiasm for him was similar to being at Lambeau. Wow. Everybody was screaming and cheering, and by the end of the two, and he sang for like two and a half hours, three hours straight. Wow. And sick, sick, really, really sick, did encore after encore. And then at the end of every song, everybody was screaming and cheering. It was like Lambeau with a <laughs> touchdown. It really was, because everybody was pulling for well, him. Right, because you knew what the guy was dealing with. No, absolutely. Um, gee, we're almost out of time. Frank Sinatra, let's see, Everly Brothers, Rush, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, Pack, we got a t- from Twitter, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. On Facebook Live, Christine writes, Triumph in Green Bay. Jason writes, Toby, Keith. Keith, all these great shows. That that's and see that's one of the cool things about whether it's going to Summerfest or going to a concert. You just you just never know when you're going to see that very very special one. This was a lot of fun. Um, you can watch the replay of this and continue to participate in the conversation at Facebook Live on our Facebook page at uh, Facebook.com six twenty WTMJ. Wish we had a little bit more time. We do Pop Culture Corner this time every week, every Thursday at eleven thirty. Right now we're going to take a quick break. Then when we come back, we'll find 
find out what's going on on WTMJ today. Eleven fifty-eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. I'm a little bit late. WTMJ today. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstadt, the lovely and charming Michelle Richards. Hey Jeff, how's it going? I'm well. What do you guys got coming up? Well, the right. lovely and charming Scott Warris as well. I'm those, sorry. How come those adjectives were <laughs> meant only for Michelle? What happened there? Uh, we'll have the latest yeah, on the your big, point. Speaking of uh, yeah, <laughs> speaking of um, news and not so real news, the bacon shortage that everybody was freaking out about. Calm down. There's no bacon shortage. You'll be fine. And if there's a bacon shortage, doesn't that mean there would have had to have been a pig shortage as well? At any rate, that's my point on that. We'll talk about that. Michelle is obsessed with Beyonce's pregnancy, and I don't know why. Because it's a weird picture that she chose to announce this yeah. pregnancy with. Yeah. It's weird. I saw that as well. You thought it was weird, too. I don't care. I, I'm with her. I mean, well, I mean... Yes, I, I did. I thought, but I mean, I guess to each their own, but you know, that, that's not how I would. She's it, an artist. She's allowed to do what she wants, but I can still think it's weird. Fair enough. And then, of course, the 107, at 107, the, the four at one, the top four stories of the day that we think you need to know as you work your way through your Thursday. Stick around. WTMJ Today is coming up. I am back 830 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Thursday. Stay warm. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.